Welcome to Listen Up America. I'm your host, Eric. This week's special episode is a review of the HBO miniseries, The Pacific. The Pacific was produced by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks as they bring a 10-episode story about three Marines who go off to war to fight the Japanese during World War II in the Pacific. If you're not familiar with it, it was done 10 years after what they call a companion piece to Band of Brothers, which was also a 10-episode miniseries done by Spielberg and Tom Hanks. And it followed the 101st Airborne, specifically Easy Company 506, 101st Airborne. And uh, their travel from Tacoa, Georgia, and their training to England, the invasion of Europe on D-Day, and so forth, to the surrender of the German army. The Pacific, which is the series I want to talk about today, is the one that was released 10 years later, okay, in 2010. So when I first watched Band of Brothers, and I was done with it, I was blown away. Frankly, it was the best TV I'd ever seen put together, and to this date, I don't think anything has come close to being done for TV as amazing as Band of Brothers. If you have not seen it, I highly suggest and recommend you go watch Band of Brothers. You will get a perspective of what your grandfathers and your great uncles and things like that, the generations from the 20s and the 30s that lived and fought and died in the 40s during World War II. It is beautifully done, completely unique. I mean, it was done right after Saving Private Ryan, the movie, and they came out with this and it just, it blew your mind and it will blow your mind today. It is just some of the best storytelling from different perspectives of every episode from a different member of the unit and you follow them through. Now this week I want to talk to you about the Pacific. It's what they call it their companion piece. This is about the first Marine division and the Pacific theater, literally the fight against the Japanese. And it stars James Badge Dale who plays Private First Class, Robert Leckie. So you're asking yourself, who is that guy? What's he been in? You know him from 13 Hours, the Mangazi story, okay? He played Tyrone. He was the one in charge of the compound before and during the siege, ended up dying on the roof. He's one of the four actual characters from the CIA that died when Hillary was in charge and ignored the calls for help. He was in that. And uh, he's done a couple other little things. Uh, I think he's, uh, you know, he said just little parts, nothing really huge, but he did this back in 2010. He played Robert Leckie. He was a newspaper journalist before becoming a Marine. And much of this story you're going to watch in the Pacific is based on what he wrote from his experiences. And when he came out of it, he went back to writing. And later in life, he wrote, Uh, several books, and they pulled those stories to create this show. And they also pulled from another person in the first Marines called Eugene B. Sledge. And he was a private first class. And Eugene was played by Joseph Mazzello. And you're like, Joseph Mazzello, these are people I don't know. You do. I promise you know who he is. You've all watched Jurassic Park, right? The original, when they were good, not this nonsense they're making now that they're just retreading. So you remember the original with the little kid 
Did that all the questions that was always going up to Sam Neill's character and pointing at him and talking about, well, my teacher said this about the birds and said this about the dinosaurs and all that stuff. You remember the little kid, right? Scared to death. Got electrocuted on the fence. That kid, that's Joseph Mazzello when he was like eight. And you're like, okay, well, since the Pacific, he did another movie that you've seen recently. If you're a fan of Queen, he played the bass player in Bohemian Rhapsody. And off the top of my head, I can't remember the name of the bass player. Um, but he was the bass player with the funny hair, the kind of like the uh, sideshow Bob haircut from The Simpsons. And that's you. He's that's the guy that plays Eugene Sledge. He's a really good actor. He's from New York, but he's playing a young man from the South. It's like I think Alabama. And he's a very affluent family. His dad's doctor who served in World War One, uh, putting them back together and then sending them home. And he saw the effects of war, and he was very much understood his son's need to serve and go to war for his country, but was very much hesitant because he knew what it was going to cost his son, that it wasn't the scars, that it was the soul. It's the wounds that they take with them. You know, the PTSD, the things that our veterans deal with to this day. And lastly, you have John Ceda, S-E-D-A, John Ceda. He plays Sergeant John Bassalone. John Cena, uh, if you're a fan of, I guess it's Chicago PD. He was in that show. He may still be in it, uh, but he's been there like five, six years as one of the cops. And uh, he plays Sergeant John Bassalone. Now, Sergeant John Bassalone was quite a guy. And the story of the Pacific is based on these three gentlemen in the First Marines. Now, there's some side characters, but it's these three gentlemen. Where in Band of Brothers, it was about... 300 guys, and they would pick about 20, 30, 40 at any one time. You got to know quite a lot of these guys just in their interactions. So it was it was different. When I originally watched The Pacific, I didn't like it because it wasn't Band of Brothers. I'm like, they totally went different. They did something I don't, I just, I was not comfortable. I had a mindset. Remember, it's the best TV I'd ever seen to date in Band of Brothers. And I'm comparing The Pacific to it. Totally not fair. I'm glad I waited 10 more years to watch it again because the Pacific was really good. It was different and it was different in a good way and in a more emotional way because you got to watch the first Marines, their exploits start at Guadalcanal. And if you're not familiar with Guadalcanal, historically what happened was the Marines were put on the beach And they were basically left for themselves for months. The Navy did not have the ability to support and maintain any security around the island. We had no ability to fight the Japanese at night. Radar and things like that were just coming into play, and they weren't really available on these older ships. So at night, the Japanese would come down, they call it the slot, and they would resupply the Japanese on the island, and then they would find the U.S. Navy and engage and sink them. They just go right after them because they had no chance at night. So at night, the Americans just pulled away. So the Japanese were free to just run supplies and do whatever they needed to do. And we weren't. Our Marines were shrinking. They had less food. They had to scavenge on the island to find food and resources. Everything was a stress. And the Japanese soldier was nothing like the American military had ever seen at that point. And I believe to this day, they're probably considered the most fanatical out of everything we've faced. To this day, Japanese did not surrender. The Japanese would just, if an officer said, charge, go. They went. 
in numbers that could have been 10 or could have been hundreds, could have been thousands. We just come running down a hill across a field or a beach screaming with their guns and, and the, have the bayonets on the end and just charging across in a fixed positions. And the fixed positions would just go crazy. And John Bassalone had a fixed position. He was given a command of a section that they knew was going to be hit. They were even told, says, this is where they're coming. And they came. And the Marines at the time had World War I equipment. They didn't have the 40 cows. They had these water-cooled machine guns with these huge fat containers around the barrel. It, it, it just added weight, and I said, there's fluid to it, so a five-pound machine gun actually weighed like 20 pounds. And it had to circulate the fluid. Well, they only had so much fluid. They would literally have to pee in the system to keep it going, to keep it cool, so they could keep firing. It was that crazy and insane for these Marines to have to deal with this situation. So the Japanese at night are just coming through the Constantine barbed wire and just coming and flares are going off. So you can kind of see and machine guns are going and they're going and they're going and they're piling Japanese up to a point where Marines would have to go out into the field and push bodies over. So they can get a clear line of fire on the next wave of guys coming. Now there's like 30 Marines and in front of them are hundreds of Japanese. Well, John Bassalone when he saw they were getting flanked, they had a big oven mitt and he couldn't find it to pick up that hot barrel. He just used his bare hands. He picked up the machine gun, picked it up and just started moving because he had to get to the new position to engage the enemy that was flanking along their side. And if they got flanked, they were all going to die. And he stood there, you know, like, like you see in the movies, like Rambos with his, just, and he just gunned down hundreds. They don't even know the number. I mean, he easily gunned down and machine gunned three, four, five hundred people. The Japanese invading the army to save his men and hold the position and eventually take Guadalcanal. He won the Medal of Honor. When they were pulled off Guadalcanal, they were sent down to Melbourne and he was given the Medal of Honor. See, back in the day, when you won the Medal of Honor and you're still alive, you went home. A, because at that time, propaganda, we can get John Bass alone to go out there and get people to buy war bonds. And war bonds is what the government needed to pay the companies that they had basically ordered. You will make us jeeps and bullets and ammos and uniforms and things like that. But they don't do it for free. They got to pay them. So people were recycling everything they could to contribute, but they would buy bonds and things like that to help fund the war. That's what John did in the stateside for over a year. And, you know, he's a celebrity and he got into it and it was all cool. But in his heart, he's like, he's a Marine. He wants to go back. And at that point, that actually was an option. Today, that does not happen. If you win the Medal of Honor and you were alive, you're done. You're not going back into combat because they do not want a Medal of Honor winner dying in battle. But then, for John Bassalone through the series, and he's only in like three, four episodes because it does bounce, but you spend a lot of time with him. So when you get to be John Bassalone, you can see his family and what it's about, where he's from and who he is. And he goes to his commanding general and says, I want to join the men. I want to train the men in Camp Pendleton. And the guy's like, well, I know your time's up in a couple of months. I'll just get you out. And he goes, no, you don't understand. I don't want to go out. I want to fight and serve. I want to go and train more Marines. And the general says at the time that that's what makes him proud to be a Marine is for a man who has a free ride home, not take it job still got to be done. He wants to prepare Marines to do what he can do and what his Marines did for him was fight and win. So he goes to Pendleton 
He meets a beautiful woman who is a sergeant in the Corps that runs the uh, mess hall. And John, remember, he's a celebrity guy now, so he's like starlets and everything you'll see in the in the series. And he is falling in love with this young lady. And she sees from her perspective that he's basically a man whore. And she doesn't respect it. She doesn't like it. And she does not want to be another notch in this guy's belt. She wants to be respected. And what she's fighting through the process is John is respecting her. And he's going out of his way to treat her absolutely different, like a queen. Not like he did the other women that just were thrown at him every night when he was doing the Bond tour. But you'll see he eventually just being John instead of John the celebrity, just just being John Basilow. And they fall in love. And they get married. And it's a beautiful whirlwind story that I think you'll really appreciate. I don't want to get further into it, but you'll learn more about what happens with John in the end. So you go back to Eugene Sledge and Robert Lecky as the other characters that we follow. And they're in the first Marine division. Now, Robert Lecky is originally on Guadalcanal and he's just in a separate unit than John Basilow. And you get to see what his group of men deal with and his squad and his company and so forth. And you see the actors, they're just shrinking because they basically have very little food. Once he is done with Guadalcanal, he goes, basically another island and uh, they get to recoup and get themselves taken care of before they're redeployed. That's when Eugene Sledge finally, he has a heart murmur. His dad's a doctor and he's like, you got a heart murmur. You can't go. You can't sign up. And the kid just wants to go. And if he had his way, he would have been in Guadalcanal because one of his dear friends from the neighborhood that he grew up with went there and fought and was at Guadalcanal. So he keeps getting checked and he finally, he looks at his dad and goes, murmur's gone, isn't it? Dad just takes his stethoscope off and he just looks at his son and his son's like, I'm, I'm signing up tomorrow. And the dad just says, let me tell your mother. And, uh, he signs up and he goes to training. You just see a little bit of Eugene Sledge in his training. He's a part of a mortar crew. And, uh, if you're not sure that that's where the, the tube sit on the ground, they drop the, uh, artillery shell, basically, you know, it's about a two, three incher drop it in the tube and poof shoots out. And then lands a couple hundred yards away type thing. That's what he trains to do. And then he's deployed and he goes to the Island that the rest of the first Marine division is on recuperating and getting ready for the next bit of action. And the next bit of action is Peleliu. And that was brutal. Basically when the Marines invaded an Island in the Pacific, there was actually very little resistance in the beginning until they got on the beach because the Japanese were bunkered down and had their little concrete slits and things that were ground level and in the hills and whatever. And then they would wait. And then when they kind of dropped their guard, they just, just shell them and machine gun and just take as many as they could kind of create a, a kill box basically for a, a division of Marines and just try to wipe them all out. On Peleliu, they actually were shooting and firing an artillery as the landing craft was coming in, a lot like you see on Saving Private Ryan in D-Day. So they're under heavy fire. It's a nightmare. The landing craft are being hit. Uh, their landing craft were a little different than the ones you see D-Day. These ones had tracks, so they could actually drive onto the beach, drop the gate. Some of them drove onto the beach and kept shooting. You know, they, they were kind of like armored personnel carriers. You know, if you're in the first wave, they had to go back and get more Marines. So, you know, you didn't have those vehicles as support till later. So they're on the beach and they're just getting the crap pounded out of them. And uh, you're watching these men have to deal with this, seeing your friend next to you and, you know, got to move forward and can't stay on the beach. And so you're watching all these difficulties. Now, Peleliu was a hell. 
Because again, support was very weak from the Navy and their ability to do anything because the Japanese were still harassing them to death. And there were a lot of airfields and other islands that Japanese could fly off of and would harass. And by harassing simple things like water, the Marines on Peleliu didn't have water for days. And the Japanese would poison the water that they knew was there. They would throw dead animals in the water to poison it. And you'd see that. But they had to keep moving. And you get to watch these Marines dealing with all this. And Lecky has medical issues. I mean, he ends up, there's a medical term for it. And I'll tell man, I can't think of it. But um, it's a bladder urinary issue. He wets the bed. And it's not a psychological thing. It's actually a medical thing. So they had to pull him out and send him away to get some help on another island. And um, he just needed a break because it, it, the pressure on these Marines is super intense. And through this series, you'll see the strongest Marines. There's a gunny in this unit. You're going to love him. He's hilarious. He just strips down naked because it starts raining. and just starts soaping up and he starts singing a song about Marines being clean and taking advantage of, you know, he's just a character. And he's all soaped up and he's just about to rinse and the rain stops. And, you know, and he's mad Marine now. He's like got soaps like son of a, you know, just going crazy. There's some really fun side characters that you'll enjoy. So le- once like he deals with his medical condition, he ends up on Peleliu. And uh, he's learned a lot from Guadalcanal. And with that, he's a v- much more effective and confident Marine. And they're getting the crap shelled out of him from the hills on the other side of the airfield. The whole point is take the airfield. Once you take the airfield, you got to take the hills because Japanese are in the hills and you got to get them out. Japanese would not surrender. They fight to the death. And that's what they did. Marines didn't get the luxury that the army in Europe did of Germans waving white flags saying, yeah, I'm done. Not here. In the islands, in Japan, the Japanese soldier, to the death. Very, very, very few ever surrendered. So these guys had to kill every single one of them to secure an island. If there was one or 10 left, they were going to fight and try and kill Marines. So you got that pressure and you're watching this pressure build on them because they realize they're trying to maintain some of their humanity. Like we all are today about, you know, when we talk about racism and things like that, they're, they're, they're good people that look at human life as precious and they're fighting an enemy that doesn't give a crap about itself. In their view, they're like, these people are insane. They're making me kill them. For what? Because if I don't kill him, he's going to kill me. And when they had their breaks, and you get to see this, when you when they get their breaks from island fighting and island hopping, they didn't get to go to London or Paris and get their freak on and drink on and, you know, and bang some chicks. There are no women on these islands anywhere. Not till later and you see some nurses and they're totally off limits. You, I mean, they are even looking at them like they're, they're in your head. You can hear them thinking, what the hell are these women doing on this island? And they're being yelled at like, hey, that's enough, boys. No more looky, looky, move on. And they look at the guy that said it like that thousand yard stare they talk about. That's it. They're looking at him. And we get introduced to a, a fourth character that you're all going to recognize. Remy Malik is in the Pacific. He plays private first class Merrill Shelton. We call him Snafu. And you're like, wait, Rami Malik, I know that. What I? He played Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody and won an Oscar. He was the guy in Mr. Robot on USA Network. 
I guess it was a hacking spy kind of show. Never saw it. Probably should because I heard it was really good. But he's in it. And he's in the unit with Eugene Sledge, who's played by the kid from Jurassic Park. And at first, they're very bitter because Eugene is still a human being. Right? He still has his values and his way of life. And Snafu, played by Rami, he's been at Guadalcanal. He's seen what the Japanese are capable of. So much so that you know, he's got no problem diving into a dead Japanese soldier's mouth and taking a, a bayonet and carving and pulling teeth out because they're gold. So they're just collecting gold. See, in Europe, the army would just go into a town and they would, you know, take stuff out of the town. Whether it be booze, be silver. You'll see it in a band of brothers. They're collecting stuff and sending it home. You know what the Marines got to collect? Gold teeth. Only if you're willing to take your own knife and stick it in some dead body and pop teeth out. Rami was cool. He did that. He was okay with it. Sledge wasn't. He was not. No. And as more went on, you could see his humanity, like his dad worried about his soul fading away. And Snafu was a great character because he listened a lot. He would be on somewhere else, the camp or in the foxholes or on a, he was always just close enough to hear and observe. And he was a great observer of humanity. And he could see, without anything being said, what was happening to Sledge, that he was breaking, that they're not going to surrender, that you are going to have to kill all of them. But Snafu looked out for Sledge and made sure that that's all he did, that he just did his job and his duty and was just killing them, that he didn't fall into the trap that Snafu fell into of digging into dead bodies. There's a confrontation. It's great. Takes place when they're on Okinawa which is a complete bloodbath. And he stops him from doing something he's going to regret the rest of his life. And it's incredibly powerful. But before we get to the Okinawa part, Iwo Jima happens. And that's where John Bassalone takes his Marines, the 4th Marine Division, that they've built up at Camp Pendleton, and they deploy them to the Pacific to fight on Iwo Jima. That's where the flag is raised on Mount Suribachi. And uh, John, again, he could have gone home, but he went to fight with his Marines. And I don't want to spoil it, but you need to see the episode. And you'll see what happens to John, what he does for his Marines, and the type of man that America produced back then. And I, I believe we produce to this day. Amazing human beings that have no regard for their own well-being, but are willing to sacrifice themselves for the greater good and for those around him. Because in the end, John Besselin was a Marine. To this day, they hold a parade every year in his hometown back in Jersey in his honor. The John Besselin Parade. So you definitely want to watch and learn more about him. And watching this show will help you. So after Iwo Jima, the first Marines then move on, and they, they invade Okinawa. And again, they went to Okinawa. Nothing happened. They got on the beaches, they're walking around, they're going for several days before they even come into any contact with the Japanese. And then it happens. And then the fight goes on for months. And over 100,000 Japanese soldiers, I think it was several hundred thousand Okinawans, were killed. A lot by the Japanese themselves. They would tell them that the Americans were going to kill them and do all these horrible things, and then that was the last thing the Americans were going to do. All the Americans did was fight Japanese that would not Surrender when it was over. They fought to the last man, forcing America's hand. 
And while the Marines are on Okinawa, they get wind that a bomb was dropped on a Japanese city and took it out. And then the questions of what bomb could do that? I mean, they've, they're watching B-24s and B-17s fly all the time. And they're like, no bomb on that plane could do what you're talking about. That's crazy. It's kind of like a Twilight Zone thing all of a sudden. These guys cannot comprehend it. You know, they soon learn that it was the nuclear bomb. They don't even know what that is, but they learn. But I think the best part of this series comes down to the last episode. Because they did something that Band of Brothers didn't do that I always told my wife, I always thought it would be really interesting if they took the story of the soldier when they came home from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, you know, Desert Storm, you know, the, the stuff that goes on today in Afghanistan and Iraq. And what happens to these men when they come home? What's the effect? How has their life changed? What's their life going to be? Will they marry? Will they have children? How will that relationship? Jobs. How will all this unfold? Because they are carrying them. When you watch the Pacific and you watch the Band of Brothers, the baggage that they carry. And they interview a Band of Brothers, the survivors. You will see. You won't know it as the process is going. You will see these old gentlemen talking about their time. And you don't know who it is. And at the end, they're like, this person is such and such. And this person, and you're going to see how yeah, it totally is him. Like they cast these actors and band of brothers that are amazing actors. They're killing it today. And they look like these guys, like they're, they're older twin. And they talk about how they deal with when it's cold and the effect it has on them or what it reminds them of. And these Marines, when uh, the first Marines finally come home, the parades are over. The Marines and the Army and the Air Force and the Navy, everybody that was home and in port and so forth, they're the ones that got the parade. They, they hadn't seen any action. They got the parade. Well, the Navy fleets and the Army Air Forces, the Army soldiers that were in Europe and the Marines in the Pacific, they came home two, three, four, five months after the fact. And you see at the last episode, Eugene and Snafu, a couple guys are on a train out of California, heading home. Snafu is from Louisiana. And like I said, uh, Sledge is from Alabama. So they, they talk a little bit and what's to come and what happened to's and things like that. There's a scene where Eugene is just asleep on the train, comfortable at peace. And it's Louisiana stop and Snafu's getting off and he grabs his bag and they're in their dress, dress greens, not their blues. And he's, Stands up, Sledge is sleeping, and he looks at him and starts walking off the train. He stops, turns around, and Sledge is still sleeping, and he just gets off the train. And that was the last time they spoke or saw each other for another 15 years or so. And the only reason they saw each other, as they'll say in it, is Eugene wrote a book in the 50s about his experiences. And there was something that went on, and that's what got them together. Rami's character, Snafu, just showed up. But you could see Snafu just didn't want to wake him because he was at peace. You could just see he wanted to hug him. He wanted to thank him because their relationship was deeper. Their bond was forever solid that they could go so long and still pick up where they left off. But through it all, it's historically accurate. You will learn a lot about the first Marines and what they had to deal with and how they dealt with it. 
and you get to learn about a, an American hero, which they all were, but specifically about John Bassalone, who he was, what he did, and how he lived. And uh, if you get a chance, like I said, I caught it on the History Channel just recently. And they've been running Band of Brothers. So I promise that it's very likely that it seems that uh, History Channel will be rerunning it. So if they do, just record it. But if you can find it online, stream it, whatever, um, it's worth it. I own Band of Brothers, and after you watch it, you're going to. So if you just want to buy it, just buy it. Because seriously, it is the best TV I've seen ever made. And the Pacific, in watching it the second time, was, I believe, emotionally more powerful than Band of Brothers, which made it different. And made it good. So my review of the Pacific, I hope you enjoyed it. Please go watch it. Again, I can't encourage enough. You get to learn about your American history and in a time where we're trying to destroy it. You need to understand and embrace where this generation came from and what made them. So please enjoy and thank you for your time. And I will talk to you next week. That's a wrap for this week's episode. Be the peace. Don't let emotion get the best of you. Remember, you are the resistance. God bless you, your family, and America. America.